Welcome back to another episode of Dentistry's Growing with Grace podcast. Join Grace and her guest of the week as they discuss lessons learned in the industry and explore unique insights into ethical growth. Hello and welcome back to Dentistry's Growing with Grace. I think you are in for a treat today. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with me and Kira. Kira, um, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Grace. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time out to spend some time with me on our podcast. Um, I know we just, a quick shout out for your podcast. I know we just recorded one um, for the Dental A-Team podcast. It was a lot of fun. We did. And it was fun. You grilled me a little bit. You asked me some some difficult questions. So I'm hoping to return the favor for you today. I'm excited. I know when I was filling out your uh, podcast form at the beginning, I'm like, oh, she's nicer than I am. Like I get a tee up what I want to chat about. Um, but I was hopeful that we'd be able to do more of a rift because I think those are always the more interesting podcast. And I'm grateful that you invited me to your podcast because I'll be honest, when we did your podcast, I'm like, Grace and I are either going to be like really true, like best friends for life, or she's going to think I was the biggest jerk. And I didn't even mean it. I just was asking my honest questions on marketing. So I appreciate you so much. And I'm just honored to be here today. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to have you. And I can see where you would think that way. I think we're similar personality wise in a lot of ways. And usually when you meet that, you're, you either end up being best friends or worst enemies. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping we end up being best friends. That's, I already that's, feel like yeah. it's a good thing. I feel like I we're already it. on the track for best friends for sure. Yes. So my first question for you, is your last name Dent? It is. You'd be shocked. That's usually like one of my very first questions I get asked. So on all my presentations, whenever I speak, I'm like, my last name really is Dent, guys. It's not a stage name, um, but I do make the joke. This is a true story, too. It just took me three fiancés to get that last name. Like, don't worry, a whole other story. But yes, Dent really is my last name. Okay, I okay, I think you at years past or at some point sent me a friend request and I didn't accept it because <laughs> I thought Dent was a fake name. And I'm like, oh, I don't, rec- I don't, I don't accept people with fake names. They have to have their real name out there. So yeah. I think that's why we weren't best friends sooner. <laughs> It's okay. It just had to be the perfect time for us to align. Yeah. Dent, I get asked that a lot. People are like, is that really your last name? And I'm like, it it actually is. My husband's name is actually Jason Dent. He should have been a dentist. He's a pharmacist, but his name literally means tooth healer. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what? Like we should have been, uh, you should have been a dentist, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I did upgrade in last names. Like first fiance's last name was going to be Benninghoff. Like that would not have probably landed super well second fiance's last name was John's like definitely did not want that last name and then third I was like Dent Dent like I think and that was even before I created the dental a team or anything and um, I also tell people I'm like I've had people even write checks to cure a dental I get that quite a bit as well and it works so you know as long as the bank accepts it (laughs) yeah so okay that's awesome my burning question has been answered (laughs) good good I'm glad I actually never took my husband's last name and I, I stuck with my uh, maiden name because I started the business with that name and I didn't want to yeah. go through losing any brand recognition. So I kept it, but I'm thinking about legally changing it and just not telling anyone and just sure. you know, leaving it as like a, a DBA or something. I don't know. It could be, I will say it took me two years before I changed my name. I remember when we got married 
Um, people are like, what's your name? And I'm like, I don't even know. I feel like I don't even know who I am anymore. Um, changing like on my car, on my, like, thankfully I didn't have many things in my name at that point in time. So I'm grateful I did change it. My maiden name was Staples. Um, so I went from Staples to Dent, which are both kind of fun last names. You can do a lot of wittiness with both of them. Um, but I will say Dent is a harder last name. I mean, a lot of the names I'd pick out for future children, if we ever have them, like I loved the name Ellie, but Ellie Dent, like that's going to be an elephant, poor girl. Like, <laughs> and there's like Ty Dent, that's like Trident, like just so many of these names that I loved. I'm like, okay. And like, you can't do one syllable. I mean, we have a nephew and his name's Jet Dent. Like that is a really hard name to say. It's so, limiting. Yeah. It's, it's limiting. limiting. I mean, yeah. it's a pro and a con all mixed into one. And also, gosh, like potlucks or school, like beginning of the alphabet, that's rough. I could always be late to school with the last name Staples. Always <laughs> easy. And I was always bringing desserts to potlucks. So, I mean, and I'm like main dish status. Like, I don't even know how to do this. So it's, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot <laughs> so, of questions. So think about that before you change your last name, like see if it's, you know, I, I think, pro and con. <laughs> I think that you know, the biggest deal for me was the paperwork. I'll be honest. That's yes. why I didn't change my name. I already had my business. I already had, you know, and I didn't want to do a lot of paperwork, which is um, horrible. That's a horrible, horrible. reason to it's have not. a different last name than my entire family. It's not, it was so much work and effort. And especially <laughs> now that it's COVID, my little sister tried to change her name because she got married. She's like, this is a pain care. And I'm like, I bet, I bet it, it is. Actually. Okay. <laughs> what's worse? What's worse? Um, getting approved to be a CE provider, like a PACE CE provider or changing your last name? Oh my gosh. Both were just like nightmares. I'm not going to lie to you on either one. Like CE, like, and then also like you notch it up on more of like trademark. I would have changed my name all day long over like CE and trademark. Yeah. I mean, but again, I didn't have a business. So I feel like I can't give you like honest advice on that. I think having my business, like you think of just changing your address, like we're about to move again. And I'm just like, oh no. Like the it's, whole myriad, it it's just a is lot. a pain. So, yeah. but I would say you probably should do it sooner than later. If it's even an inkling for you, maybe just, you know, get on that train. Maybe start okay. another business with a new name too. You can, you know, do a little rebrand on something. Or just keep all the names and just oh. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have letters after her name. She just has multiple last names. That's all and I'm, <laughs> Yeah, I'm about to get confirmed um, mm-hmm. in my faith. And so I'm going to have another name. So I'll just keep, it'll just be a ton. Of, people think, will think I've been married just like a bunch of times. I feel good about that. That would make for a great podcast topic. It'd make for a great intro, like two truths and a lie status. <laughs> like that's a lot of opportunity sitting for you. Yeah. I'm excited about that. All right. Yeah. So let's, let's, now that we all know your real name, um, tell me a little bit about what led you to starting dental A team and kind of pursuing this path. What's, what's your dental background? Absolutely. So my background started out in high school and um, I wanted to wear scrubs and there was an ROP program at the high school and I could either become a nurse or a dental assistant. And I thought, Fastest, easiest way to get there, learn the mouth, not the whole body. Definitely going dental assistant route. I I didn't have a passion for teeth. I had nice teeth my whole life. I didn't really have to have ortho or anything like that. So just one of those things that I didn't really realize how great I had it. Oh, that's annoying. It's super annoying. I know. I was just that person. And so um, so I went into dental assisting or I was a I was a terrible dental assistant. I will tell people like when I first started out, it did not come natural for me. I hit the dentist in the head with the overhead light. I shot air into an open socket, like blood in the face. Like I did all the things like x-ray status. Holy moly. I became a really good person taking x-rays, but it just was because it was so hard for me to do it. And so 
I felt like I had to put a lot of love and attention into dental assisting. And then I fell in love with it. So that, of course, that's how it happened. Um, so I was a dental assistant for quite a while, then a treatment coordinator, a scheduler, a biller, an office manager. And then I've always been a little entrepreneurial spirit over here. So when my husband was applying for pharmacy school, after the long debate that I lost of him being a dentist and he won, he wanted to be a pharmacist. Um, so we got into pharmacy school and he applied to several schools because we were not going to not get in. And then I did a little research on all the places he got accepted to. And Midwestern University in Arizona was one of the few schools that actually did a spouse reimbursement. So if I worked at the school, we would get a discount on his tuition. So that was actually one of the reasons we chose Midwestern was because we wanted to um, we wanted to go there and I would be able to get a discount. But then I had to try and get a job there. So I feel just like really, truly, it was not my path. I feel like there was a higher power that was involved and I was able to get a job at the dental college at Midwestern. So I worked there for three years, got a discount on my husband's tuition, but more importantly, I got access to so many doctors and I just felt like that was a great way that I could help give back more to the dental community is bringing my passion and love for the profession to all these future dentists. So I worked with them for three years. And then when my husband graduated, he did a residency and I actually went and helped a student from Midwestern. We went and started a practice in Colorado and that practice we took from 500,000 to 2.4 million in nine months. It was crazy. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck we're doing. That was insane growth. I felt like we were drinking from a fire hose, making a ton of mistakes, learning a lot of things. I just felt like we were playing dental house. Like, I didn't know what the heck we were doing. And we're just like, well, we're doing this. And then um, I realized we had insane growth. And I thought, hold on, I just helped one dentist. What about all those other students that I knew? How could I help them? So I went and practiced on a friend's office just to see if I consulted. Like, I didn't know what a consultant did. I had never done it before. And so I went and helped him. And in one month, uh, I was out there for a couple of days and he went from a $75,000 producing practice on average to 125,000 a month. And then we caught the eye of Mark Costas in DSI because my friend happened to be one of his clients. Mark and I became great friends. I worked with DSI for about four years, working with hundreds of their offices, traveling all across the nation. I tend to average about all 50 states every year is what we tend to hit. We haul um, and then we've now just grown into the dental A team. We've grown into the podcast. We have our own podcast. And it was really just to give back to all those students is how it started out. And then it's morphed into how can we help the profession of dentistry in the largest way possible? This is our avenue and this is what we love to do. That's awesome. That's fun. I love hearing how people get into dentistry and then how they just fall in love with it and, and stay with it and evolve and, um, we all have a story. It's always fun to, to get to share that. For sure. Um, okay. So kind of, I, I always like to share something in the podcast that's going to help people like immediately, or at least connect with people with, with where they're at right now. Um, when I'm talking to our clients on a regular basis, I'm hearing a lot of um, their growth challenges circulating around not having enough team members or not having the right team members. What role right now um, is the hardest to fill in the dental practice? And, and why do you think that is? I love this question. Um, and I became a serial entrepreneur and we actually had a company called Dental Placement Pros for a hot minute. Um, it was about a year run and I realized hiring was a hard thing to do, especially when I had several hundreds of clients that we were working for. Um, but I love this question because I feel like I can actually talk about it and I can help give those tangibles. So um, hiring is hard. It is challenging. And I would say, I think it's ebbed and flowed over the course of time based on statistics and what's going on in the world. 
So right now, I think the hardest position to fill has been hygiene, um, and it's due to a lack of hygienists out there. So we got the COVID that hit, and then we had a ton, like a lot of those hygienists were actually moms, and then there was nowhere to put their kids for school. So a lot of hygienists actually just left the profession. Or we had some older hygienists that had just been doing it because they love it, but now there's a health concern fear. So they pulled out of the profession and knowing that the bulk of hygienists are females, it actually took a huge chunk of those hygienists out of there. And now we have a hygiene shortage. There's not enough hygienists to be circulating throughout. So now it's this like, what do we do? Can we share hygienists? Can we run assisted hygiene? And so I think right now that tends to be one of the hardest positions to hire. Um, and I've just seen it all over. So offices are needing to get scrappy. They're needing to think differently. How could we actually see the same amount of patients or change up our marketing strategy so that we're bringing in more of our ideal patients so we're not having to have as many hygienists could we share with another office can we like wow and dazzle hygienists in school can we send some of our assistants to school yes i know that's a two-year play but at least we'd get them back can some doctors start doing hygiene so i think right now that's been the hardest piece however i will say that i think writing ads and doing your ads differently we have a whole hiring course that we put together because like, hey, let me just take all the knowledge we've got and give it to you guys. Um, but I think that by doing so, kind of if you write really, really good ads, you have certain titles, you zig when other companies are zagging. I post three ads simultaneously for the exact same position, just with different titles. Grace, I'm sure you know, our podcasts, it doesn't matter the content. It matters the title that we put on there as to what how many downloads that we'll get. Same thing with your ads. So if your ad has a really sexy title, you're going to actually get more candidates to apply. Like, um, yeah, I like I should title that. this one, what's Kira's real last name? Yep, there you go. <laughs> You'll get download clicks and it's not because of the content. I could talk about whatever we wanted to, but it's all about that title and same thing for your ad. So that's a tangible that you guys can take is like, how do you write your ad? What time are you posting your ad? What's the title you're placing on your ad? But then also some of the things to do with hygiene. I've had some offices where they'll just do um, assisted hygiene, maybe for the last two or three hours of the day, the most prime spot anyway for hygiene appointments. Doctors then have two or three hours where they're just doing hygiene checks. Maybe you run that for one or two days a week, but it's not hard. It's not exhausting on your team. We're not compromising our patient care, but that's thinking outside the box when we're in a shortage of hygienists. And then any of those hygienists that want to come back to work, like just let us know, we'll, we'll happily take all of you. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's been such an interesting conversation to have with people because mm -hmm. there's this desperation and it's, it's so unfortunate and it's such an important role. Um, do you think the, um, dynamics of a dental practice, um, I mean, I, I worked in a practice prior to starting my company for a couple of years, I was always in the marketing side, but I was able to see the dynamics of a dental team. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the dynamics of a dental team put a unique kind of stress on the hygiene department? Um, it's kind of like, it's, it's just, it's kind of different. It's unique. It's like, they're, they're providers. They're still a part of the team. There's a little bit of uh, maybe like isolation because they're not as connected with the doctor. What advice could you give to a team that's having a hard time, not only just finding a hygienist, but but being able to assimilate their their hygienist into their team and and making sure that they're they're there to stay? Because I think that's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Should be. Mm -hmm. 
I love that question a lot. I think um, hygienists oftentimes aren't, you're right. They kind of are put on a pedestal. They're not a doctor, but they are a provider. So they're a clinical team, but oftentimes there's mutiny between the hygienist and the dental assistants. And then there's mutiny sometimes between hygiene and front office. And so what I found is first and foremost, let's set our company goals as a team. Like what is the office achieving? And then have each department set their own individual departmental goals and then personal goals. And realize, like, I'm not a huge crazy fan of individual bonuses in a practice. I like it to be a team bonus. Reason being is, I remember when I was having our practicing, um, I had my dental assistant say, Kira, I don't think our hygienists should get bonus the same as we do. Like, they don't even do anything for us. They're just sitting there cleaning teeth, but they get our same bonus. And I said, hold up. Who goes and gets your patient's numb for you? Um, so that way you can stay on track. Who's the one who's teeing up all the treatment so that way we can get treatment into doctor's schedule? Who's the one who's got a strong relationship with our patients? That's actually, a lot of times patients will stay with a practice solely because of the hygienist. And so helping the whole team realize that every single position within the practice is valuable. And then I think all of us working together. So instead of it being hygiene, dental assistants, office manager, treatment coordinator, like everybody being siloed, let's incorporate them all in. And I also think as much as you can have each other help each other. So getting each person there and then a really big way to help the hygienists um, that I've seen in a lot of the offices that we consult across the nation is what I call, what would doctor do? So you actually get the hygiene team with the doctor. They look at FMXs and interorals, they post it up there and hygienists really start to learn how to co-diagnose. Of course, they're not diagnosing, but they're co-diagnosing with the doctor. They can tee up treatment. They can make those exams so much quicker and more efficient. And I, I aim for it. The hygienist should be able to co-diagnose like 90, 98% exact of what the doctor will say, but then it becomes fun. And then your hygiene team can actually train your future doctors coming in. Exams are consistent, treatment's consistent, diagnosing's consistent, and you really incorporate that whole hygiene team in together. So they're a super integral part on all the levels. And also notch it up, I have the hygiene and dental assistants work together where they'll actually flip-flop. So hygienists will go see the dental assistant world, dental assistants will see the hygiene world, and they give each other feedback on how they could make it more efficient, um, and also, if you're really struggling with it, have like a high five jar where every morning huddle, everybody gets a random name and they write a shout out or a kudo to somebody. That way it becomes a whole team focus of positivity versus that negativity that can sometimes exist. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <clears throat> I love when we share information that, that people can use right away, that they can apply in their practice and be like, oh, good idea. So I know so many people listening right now are going to say, oh, we're doing that. That's a great idea. So thank you for sharing that. Good. You're welcome. Of all of the creative ways that we've kind of talked about navigating, that you've talked about navigating this, this hygienist shortage, what do you anticipate to be the future of the hygiene department? Do you think it will go back to what it was, or do you think it will, um, morph into a more efficient model? Or do you think doctors are just going to be doing hygiene now? (laughs) (laughs) I definitely don't think doctors will do hygiene. I don't know if you've ever seen a doctor do hygiene. They did not go to school to be hygienists. I have as a patient and I needed a new, I needed another cleaning. I (laughs) I needed to schedule my next appointment for tomorrow. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So most doctors don't make great hygienists. So I don't see that being the future. I think it might be a small interim Um, If we need to, I think it's going to be similar to a lot of things. Like, I don't know if you guys know, I didn't know this till recently, but there's a bike shortage. They called it a bike drought. Um, My husband and I decided we live in Reno, Nevada. We decided we're going to jump all in and get into biking. 
And so we went on Saturday. We're like, okay, we know how much we're going to spend. We've researched mountain bikes. So like, we were ready to go. And we show up to the place and the guy's like, so we actually don't have bikes. I was like, what? And he's like, yes, we're in a bike drought. We went to so many different bike places and they said, you literally have to buy the bike that, that comes because if you want a bike, it's either get this bike if it works for you, or you're going to be waiting like 10 to 12 months if you're lucky, because there's going to be a whole wait list. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, don't we live in the United States? Like, how does this happen? Like Amazon, like I get two day deliver on anything I want. So I feel like similarly, I think what's going to happen is it's just kind of a hygiene drought right now. However, a lot of people are going to school for hygiene school. I think the hygiene schools will start to produce more hygienists. I actually think if hygiene schools were smart, they would figure out how to create different curriculums to be able to get more hygienists in because it's a huge need um, that I then think that we will probably overproduce enough hygienists, but to get them in there. So I think it'll probably be maybe a one to two year drought, depending upon how quickly we can get hygienists through dental, um, hygiene school and then back in the field. So I think it will probably settle out. I do think offices will have to be a little bit more savvy while we're waiting for that hygiene drought to end. Um, but I, I really do see hygiene is a strong profession. It's a great profession. Um, like I said, a lot of moms, a lot of parents love hygiene for the fact it's very flexible with little kiddos. Um, we're also seeing people go back to school. So schools are opening back up, which means more people are available and wanting to go back to work. I think people are getting bored. So I really do think it's a short drought that we'll be in. And whether it's six months, a year or two years, because it's usually a two-year cycle for hygiene school, but I think we'll see it come back just like I'm hoping bikes will catch up on manufacturing and we'll all be able to go biking again. To like there's, there's a lot of weird shortages right now. There's, right. there's like a wood shortage. If you want to build yeah. a house, you're going to be in a, you're going to have a hard time with that. Yeah. If, um, we tried to, but well, what we did buy a jet ski, we found one out in the country to buy, mm -hmm. but like we tried, we, we couldn't get a jet ski easily. Like there wasn't a lot of like, I don't, I don't know why that it's so weird. It's so weird. I think we all got bored. We all started sitting at home. We all started getting like more outdoorsy and active. We were like, hey, let's build our house. But you have like a mass huge population that all decides to do similar things at the same time. And then we also shut down our production manufacturers because we can't do inter um, like global trading, if you will. And so here we are like, wow. But it just makes me realize like how grateful I am that we do rely on so many other people and how grateful I am that like there are people that will build these things because it's just a, a part of life that I don't think any of us are used to. Like, wait, what? We can't get this right away? I mean, there was a fridge and a freezer shortage through COVID when everybody was like, I mean, we had a toilet paper shortage. Like I never would have thought I'd see the day. Flour, baking right? flour. And yeast, yeast was on a shortage for yeah. a while because everyone was making bread. Like it was crazy. Yeah, it was kind of cool though. It was kind of neat. It was, I mean, it was not, it was not cool, but that's the wrong word to use to describe a pandemic. But it was different. And that experience definitely, um, definitely changed us all in some ways, hopefully for the better. So if, if a practice is looking to bring you on, looking to work with your team, um, let's say um, just an average, I know it's going to vary substantially based on how much they do with you. Um, how long typically does it take for a practice to see a tangible change in their culture and operations, the things that they're looking to, to tweak, um, what can they expect there? I, I'm glad you asked this question because I'm hoping that the listeners realize Kira Dent is a quick implementer. So like every time I'm on a podcast, on our podcast, I don't like fluff. I like for you guys to get a tangible, actionable item that you can go implement today that will make a difference. 
So it's the exact same in consulting. So most of our offices, um, we work with most offices for about a year. However, I'm really big on them seeing a quick ROI because everybody wins at that stage and then everybody's bought in. So most of the time our offices see between a 10 and a 30% increase in revenue within their first 30 to 90 days working with us. And I purposely do that and it's all simple. Nothing we implement is hard. We've been coined the Dr. Seuss of systems. So everything is really simple, really easy. Um, and I'm not big on like cookie cutter. It's not like, hey, here we go. We're gonna start with A, B, and C. It's where are you at? What are your pain points? Because that's how I know you're actually going to implement because that's a pain point and we're gonna solve that quickly, easily, and efficiently. So I tend to work with offices for about a year because we'll put that in, you guys will see growth, but then it's that like human nature. I mean, how many times do we say on January 1st, I'm gonna work out and by January 30th, we've like missed seven workouts and we're just over it and we're back to having whatever lifestyle. Every, every year. <laughs> Me, too. Me too, I'm glad there's someone else out there. But if I get consistent, like last year through the pandemic, I said, that's it. I'm going to hire a personal trainer. And I did. And I got my freaking results and it was amazing. But then just like in anything else, I had worked with her for about six to eight months. And then I was like getting really like just kind of bored. And so I try really hard with our clients to make sure that we don't hit that growth, 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 and then we plateau. So it's always an evolution. Like, okay, great. We've got our systems in place. We've got these basic things in play. Now we're going to move on to leadership. And then that becomes this whole world of, instead of it being systems, it's people now and leadership teams that's still built on a system. So in case any of them ever leave, we're still going to have it to where it's a plug and play, but we then start to morph into leadership and changing us as people. And so I kind of work that and we dovetail all the way through that. But most of our clients, I don't know, we've been in business for the last four years. And I always thought we had like a two-year lifespan of clients. I thought, okay, great. Year one systems, year two leadership. And then we'll just do like on your own. The goal is to teach you how to fish. I have clients who have stayed with me for four years. I've had some clients who within a year, I'm like, you guys are great. You've grown, um, like rock on, continue on. I will say most of our clients are usually average between a year to two years. And then they tend to do like maintenance of just coaching calls just to keep that accountability rolling and also to have a consultant in their back pocket that at any moment you can text and say, hey, what do I do with this? And, and we've got the solution and the answer customized to your practice. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I see a lot of people um, really hating on consultants and coaches in the dental field. And same thing with marketing, as you know, it's, it's not so much about you've had a bad experience. So all consultants and coaches are bad. You've got to keep working and, and networking and find the right advisors for your team. Um, otherwise you're, you're missing this, this huge opportunity because you can only see so much as the owner. And I'm kind of speaking to myself too, and, and to you as well, is that as the owner, we can only see so much. It's having that fresh pair of eyes come in and kind of evaluate and give feedback. And sometimes as the consultant, you're going to see areas of opportunity that the doctor didn't even know existed. So what is the one service you provide that you think most dentists don't realize they need? That's a good question, Grayson. I'm glad you brought up the like hating on consultants, it happens all the time. I know I walk in there and I know people have had bad experiences, but I think like, hopefully we're a young, innovative company and I'm hoping just like dentistry, you guys are like, we're changing the vibe of consulting. Like we do it in a really fun way. We do it in a very innovative way. We're really young, we're savvy, we're tech savvy. We can help you guys with it. 
But I would say the number one thing that doctors do is like that they're missing or they see is literally what you say. Like we come in from a bird's eye view and we can see your blind spots because we've literally been in your shoes and we've done every position in the practice except for being a dentist. So like right now I have an office and they just called me because they have an office manager and a treatment coordinator with no dental background. Sweet, like that's something we can definitely help with because we don't just understand that position. We actually have been that position and we can give tangible tools directly to you and your team. So I'd say that it's also being able to get the whole team on board and headed in the exact same direction in a really simple way. So I have another client, he was like on the fence, do I bring on a consultant? Do I need a consultant? He is like my penny pinching doctor. And he will tell you to today is it here. I just don't know if I want to bring in that dance row chair because it's so much fun. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, okay, here's the deal. I'll buy your chair <laughs> every dollar that you produce out of that chair over the next six months, I get a key because I know it's that good of an investment. And he's like, I know I'll just do it. So he's that doctor that he knows that he is very tight on funds and wants to invest them in the smartest way possible. He told me, he said, Kira, when you came in, I was real skeptical. And he said, within 10 minutes, you'd already paid for yourself. He said, you figured out who my team was, you knew exactly their personalities and you knew how to fix it. And I just had a wrap up call with them. I've been with them about two, two and a half months. Um, I was out there in January. So I guess we're three months now. Um, and they've already had their best months that they've ever had in the history of their entire practice. And he's been in practice for um, at least 10, 10 years. So it's been quite a while. And he said, Kira, what, what you did is you were able to get my whole team on the same page. And then you figured out what each person needed in their own individual strengths. And then you were able to push us with enough push, but in a simple enough way that everybody won. And he's like, I've never seen my team do this. And so that's what I think we bring in consistently is wherever your team's at, we meet them where they are. We give that little like spin or a push of where you guys need to go to hit your goals of what you're looking for and really getting everybody aligned, I think is what we do. And that's why people go, I'm like, we're the A-team. We, we fly in the A-team for a reason. We come, we help get your whole team to be A-team players, but done all on system. So in case one of them leaves, you still have your A-team system that any person can come in and join and you'll still be successful. It, that's awesome. And, and just to kind of recap, um, the doctors don't think they need certain things because they think it's fluffy and they think it's not tangible. And those seemingly small intangible things are the things that make all the difference in everything else that you do. It's really your foundation. And without that, you're just always going to be um, chasing more new patients, which isn't ideal. We want, we want the new patients to, to feed a, a functioning, cohesive, healthy team. And, and it's great that you can help them achieve that. So if anyone out there is listening and they're interested in learning more about what you do, how can they get in touch with you? If you're interested in consulting, um, or you want to just see if you're even a good candidate, what our services are, and if we can help find those blind spots and just make your life a little easier. Hello at the dental18.com. We're cool like the Facebook and the Home Depot. So it's hello at the dental18.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. And for those of you listening, thank you for joining. I look forward to sharing more useful information with you. If you're listening on our podcast, join our Facebook group, Dentistry is Growing with Grace. And if you're on our Facebook group, listen to our podcast. Thanks, guys. And I will see you next time. Thanks, Grace.